Welcome to Nerds of the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. And I'm Dwayne. And I'm Sammy. All right, guys. What we're doing this week is Sammy's fault. So, yes. Completely Sammy, and totally. Explain to us and the listeners why we did what we did. All right. So we, as you are listening to this, we have just passed the anniversary of the original release of King Kong. We also are preparing for the release of Godzilla vs. Kong. So, of course, with all this great apeness going on, we had to do Kong Skull Island from 2017. Sam Jackson, Tom Hiddleston, John Goodman, and a really huge CG ape, and some other people. But uh, it just, it just, we we had to do it. It was just in the cards, guys. All right. We'll, we'll get into that. Um, I'm sure we all have thoughts. Um, opinions are held. <laughs> <laughs> I think first we need to keep it 100. It's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100. All right, well, I am first out of the gate, and I am thrilled to be first out of the gate. Um, I've got something great to bring to the, uh, to bring to the party, and right. I would have helpful if I had my timer ready. All right, here we go. Guys, Keanu wrote a comic book. No. <laughs> oh, yes. Berserker number one came out this week. And it's about an immortal warrior... Um, who he's living for ages and ages and never ages, and he's incredibly good at violence, and he shockingly looks like an actor we all know and love and connect things to every week. Um, <laughs> but he's tired of living forever now, and he wants to find a way to be mortal. Um, so he does missions for the U.S. government in exchange for them helping him become mortal. It's just one issue out so far. I don't know how that's going to work. Uh, they made promises. But here's the thing. I'm not sure it's fiction. It feels more like a confession. Maybe a loose, slightly fictionalized autobiography of Keanu's real life. (laughs) I love it. Uh, He's got a great co-writer. Matt Kent is co-writing this thing. Love Matt Kent. Uh, Ron Garney's doing the art. Uh, Love Ron Garney. Um, Here's a bit of a warning, though. It's gruesome. It is absolutely gruesome. There's so much uh, leftovers after the Keanu violence that it's it's a lot. <laughs> I'll show you guys. I'll, I'll I'll send some panels to you guys later. Uh, but yeah, Keanu wrote a comic book, Berserker number one. And that's my keeping it one hundred. Wow, that's phenomenal. Uh, I was going to say it sounds like almost like an autobiography. So. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. Fictionalized. Some of the names have been changed to right, right. privacy. To protect yeah. the guilty, yeah. <laughs> well, the, if, if he is working for the federal government, they don't want that out there. So, Well, that's, that's part of the fictionalized thing. He's working for Hollywood. So the, it's a stand-in. Okay. Yeah, Hollywood has his secrets to mortality, but he couldn't say that. God. Well, we know Hollywood is not going to bring anyone to mortality. Uh, they're going to try to keep you as young as, as long as possible. <laughs> I am up next on this Keeping 100, and I'm not going to be very long, so I'm not even going to bother with a timer. Uh, as Jamie, uh, or I mean, I'm sorry, as Sammy had mentioned, uh, you know, we have just passed the anniversary of Kong 1933. Mm-hmm. 
Amazon Prime has a wonderful documentary, Long Live the King. It's a documentary about the 1933 uh, movie and the impact that it had on subsequent actors, directors, special effects, uh, artists, and just the film industry in general. It was a ton of fun to watch, especially after watching this spectacle of Skull Island. And, you know, Mike Hong was, uh, what was it, 86, 83 with Jeff Bridges? Mm-hmm. It's kind of, kind of a, an early, mid-80s uh, deal. That was the one that I really latched on to and remembered. Uh, but you know, it was really good to go back and, and see this and the impact that it had and, and how prolific it was. But so, Along Live the King. It's a documentary on Amazon Prime. All right. And, you know, I, the, the armature that was used for Kong still exists. Yeah, there's no, there's no nothing around it. It's just the yeah. sticks. Yeah, it's the, 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 the armature. The wire still, frame. Yeah, yeah. Was, it still exists. It's actually owned by a collector. Uh, I don't know if he was on there or he's passed away and passed it on to somebody else. But uh, I know a number of years ago, a collector had it in his possession. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, this talks a couple years old. I think it was a 2017. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. My, my favorite Kong is the uh, <laughs> two hours of the Peter Jackson version. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need the other hour and a half or whatever it was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. That was, a, that was a bit long. Just a touch. Saw that on New Year's Eve when it came out. So basically rung in the new year with that King Kong by Peter Jackson. And then so. you almost rang in February. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so right. long. <laughs> All right. I will round this out, gentlemen. And for my Keep It in 100 this week, I'm going with the new Black Widow series by Marvel Comics. Uh, written by Kelly Thompson with art by Lena Casagrande. Um, they do such a great job setting this up. It's an interesting story. Um, obviously, it includes my favorite redhead super spy, so I'm all in. Um, you know, it, there's this mystery to it. And I know right now we're three issues in. This isn't going to end pretty. I know it's not. Um, so, but I'm really interesting. The dialogue is snappy. Um, you get this back and forth, even between the other characters like Hawkeye and Winter Soldier. So there's this testosterone-fueled kind of jabs at each other. But those two characters, you got beautiful Adam Hughes covers. Um, so like I said, at this point, we've got three issues on Marvel Unlimited. That's where I've been reading it. Uh, it's been a long time since I've read any Black Widow. I think uh, Deadly Origin was the last one I read in 2010. But uh, this one's been really good, and I've enjoyed it. So uh, definitely check out Black Widow uh, by Kelly Thompson and Elena Casagrande. If you're just wanting to read some Black Widow, I would recommend going back and getting a recent miniseries called Black Widow No Restraints Play. Okay. It was the last thing before Kelly Thompson took over. It's really good. The Soska sisters, who write like horror movies, Mm -hmm. uh, wrote, wrote that miniseries, and it you could tell they're horror writers. Cool. But, it, okay. but it's really good. It's a different, it's a different kind of vibe for Black Widow. Okay, sweet. You know, I, I, we, we've talked about kind of the, the espionage type side of stories, like where Brew Baker's Captain America, stuff like that. I love that kind of stuff. So I like when they, they have this, her in that spy genre a little bit more than the superhero genre. So, so I'm inter- I'll have to check that out, Jamie. 
Okay. Well, we uh, are here to talk about, I know earlier Jamie had referred to this as Sammy's fault. (laughs) (laughs) Almost as if he had took a dump in the backyard or something. (laughs) But, you know, I cannot say I'm sad to have stepped into this movie. Um, it's it's something that I actually have had actively avoided when I seen it come out. I'm like, really? I don't need this. Why do we need another Kong? And making it look this over the top anyway. But hey, it's a 50-foot monkey. What are you going to do? <laughs> you know, um, I tell you guys, this really surprised me. This movie was absolutely from the moment it comes on it's absolutely gorgeous the colors the island the vibrancy um you know even even bangkok uh, vietnam it's 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 beautiful amazingly filmed the story uh, awful but you know it it's it's there but you know we have this giant monkey these giant lizards Leading up to, you know, as you see at the end of the movie, the 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 Godzilla scratched into the cave wall, you know, leading into that. It's just like Pacific Rim, big dumb fun, and that's what this movie is it's fun. I, I watched it probably three times this week, uh, just <laughs> looking at the spectacle of how beautifully it's filmed. You know, the actors are kind of second to the monkey. And the effects, but you know, I'm, I'm giving this thing a B just for sheer fun, just for sheer fun. All right. Well, well, you know, Dwayne, you mentioned Pacific Rim, right? Mm-hmm. And when we did Pacific Rim, I talked about how I loved all those early kaiju type movies, right? And that includes the ape daddy himself, King Kong, right? So. I have even watched Son of Kong, and the sad part is that wasn't as bad as Godzuki. So I'll I'll, I'll stick with Kong. Okay, <laughs> so this is actually probably my favorite of any of the Kong movies. Okay, it really is. Um, it's good without being too long. That's right, Peter Jackson. Um, and best of all, we get Skull Island all the time. No New York City, no long scenes with Kong sleeping on a boat, okay? It's all action from the beginning almost. Even the people scenes don't bother me. Come on, (laughs) all right? Yes, there's a few weak points in the acting, and we'll talk about her later, but that's not enough to ruin this movie for me. So my grade, A. Okay, um, <laughs> I, can't, I can't. I can't even throw shade. I was. I was you on the Pacific Rim episode. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, this is not a great movie. Um, there's a chance it's not even a good movie, but it's not terrible either. Um, there are some really fun action scenes. It is beautifully shot. Skull Island looks fabulous. Uh, the character designs, the monster designs, they're really cool. Um, not always thought out really well, but they look cool. 
Um, and Tom Hiddleston confirmed that he has a future outside of Asgard. He looked the part of an old school, you know, leading man action guy. Mm-hmm. He, he looked the part. Um, it's a C plus though. We're definitely in the kind of cool range. Uh, yeah. And it's not a memorable movie. Like I was having trouble. Like I finished it yesterday and I was having trouble remembering plot points today. <laughs> Was there a plot? Well, everybody Monkey, tried. helicopter, soldiers, island. I mean, <laughs> what else do you need? Yeah. and Works for me. Roll. There's a pan station. Action. <laughs> <laughs> and cut. Well, Skull Island looked really hot. I think I really hope for all those decades that John C. Riley was there, he found a fan somewhere. Take a trip down memory lane to the old five and dime where Sammy, a.k.a. Comic Book Kid, takes a look at the origin of some of our favorite heroes and villains in his podcast, One Thin Dime, focusing on the golden and silver ages of comics when the cover price was just 10 cents. Check him out every week on your podcast feed of choice, One Thin Dime. Trying, guys. I'm getting better. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay, Sam, you're uh, taking off um, in this fan section, so let's hear what you got. I'm so glad I get the lead off here, you know, because I told you, I've loved this movie. This, I think what I love about it this is our first look at what a modern Kongzilla universe could look like. Okay. And the fact that if you saw 2014's Godzilla, you know, Gareth Edwards lays in, you know, about who, what Godzilla is in, in a modern era. So then we get this, this, this movie set back in 73 at the end, towards the end of, of Vietnam and all that. So it's almost becomes like a precursor because you've got the monarch organization. So it, so all those seeds are there, right? All those little concepts are there. So I love the universe building. You know, yes, th- this movie probably played a little too much in universe building, maybe, and, and not enough in story. I mean, I'll admit it. Um, but it does get me so jazzed for, for the end of this month and the debut of Godzilla and Kong. I mean, Kong's got a beard, man, in this one. It's, it's, I'm going to dig it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm up next, and my fan, I think, is what got this movie up to a C-plus for me. And so it's 1973. That is my fan. Uh, Whoever made the decision to set this movie in 1973 deserves a promotion. Um, Setting it in that era and leaning into it so hard gave this movie um, a lot of entertainment value, gave it a lot of personality that the actual script didn't have. Um, And so like all all the music stuff, like when when they're flying in with the helicopters and and the, the music's playing, you really felt that scene. Um, all the musical cues uh, were, you know, were, were all the soundtrack stuff were perfectly chosen. 
I mean, I think it was Born on the Bayou that's playing when they're <laughs> driving up the swamp on a junky boat. I mean, it well, I'm going to interject. I'm going to interject on your uh, fan here. If you have helicopters in 1960s and 70s era Vietnam, it's a law. It's federal law. CCR has to be played. <laughs> it's right. <laughs> so. But 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 sitting and they leaned into it with the with the wardrobe, um, with like lingo, all that all that kind of stuff, and and having it have like with the Vietnam hangover with these soldiers who are so tired and are so jaded from having fought in Vietnam, um, it, it it just gave this movie a lot of personality that the plot doesn't have. Um, this movie is just paint by numbers set up for the eventual like let's let King King Kong punch Godzilla. I mean that's all this movie is. But because they said it in this in this era, in this setting, and leaned into it so hard, it let them have John C. Riley be a World War II soldier <laughs> stranded there forever. You know, it, it allowed so much to happen that it, it gave this movie a real feel, a, a vibe uh, that it desperately needed. And I, I think without that, without this setting, without them going into it so hard, this movie's pretty bland um, and definitely forgettable. Yeah. And and you know it's different than any other Kong movie by setting it in seventy three. Mm-hmm. You know we get a lot of you know um, like Gilded Age Kong in the thirties and stuff like that. We get a lot of oh this is modern Kong, but to put it there, I, I do think that that was an interesting choice, and I think it did pay off, and it worked for the characters that were in it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was, a, like James, I think that was a stroke of brilliance. It was uh, absolutely perfect to bring them from a jungle to another jungle. And that's my fan. Skull Island is my fan. Just the whole environment. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of Star Wars. You know, you have these mono-environment planets. You have, you know, this forest planets, jungle planets, swamp planets, ice planets, desert planets. You know, that's it's all it is. But then, you know, you have an imaginative place like Skull Island here. Um, it it's, is a big jungle, but there's a lot of, of ground that we cover in this in this movie. But just to see the world building there and how Kong had existed with all of these other giant creatures and the, how the uh, the scientists and the troopers discover them, you know, the, the giant bison in the in the water, the uh, the humongous spider, you know, tra- traveling over them, uh, the the giant, uh, you know, octopus squid that uh, Kong fights. The, uh, you know, the the big ants. You hear that? That's that's an <laughs> ant. I think it's a bird, but that's an ant. They're huge here. You know? <laughs> I love John C. Riley's craziness after being stranded. You know, uh, for all this time amongst these people, they don't they don't talk much. But uh, you know. It's, it's cool, but I love the world building. I love the environment. I love the island. Uh, Skull Island is a winner for me. Cool. Skull crawlers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I said it cool. Then I said it out loud. Maybe it does. Well, you know, he was he was disappointed in that. So let's go see if we can find some pans laying around us, some stuff that we may be disappointed in. So let's go to the pan section Jamie, what you got? Jamie, Mr. Like, C, lob that softball. <laughs> no, that, this is easy, and it's not—it's not, it's not uh, anything like super specific. This this movie is just connective tissue. Yeah, it's all it is. They're just—they're just setting up, you know, the eventual fight between 
Kong and Godzilla. And unfortunately, whoever was masterminding this shared universe apparently likes Godzilla a lot more than King Kong. Because <laughs> <laughs> not only did Godzilla get two, you know, two movies, whereas Kong only got one. I mean, the first Godzilla movie is standalone, and it doesn't reference Kong really. Um, mm-hmm. The second movie is still all about Kong and all of his monsters. I mean, uh, Godzilla all the movies he he fights. And King Kong gets one little movie, and it's just enough to set up, like, you know, there's more stuff out there. There's more monsters, and they used to rule, and they're going to fight to take back over. I mean, it's just set up. It's all set up, and unfortunately, it leaves the movie uninspired. I mean, you you could tell, whoever wrote this, that they were just trying to make sure all the dots connected and get ready for the eventual meetup and battle. Um, And it leaves it flat, leaves it pretty predictable. It leaves it feeling very paint-by-numbers. And I just feel like if if, the, if this had been, had been a movie that was made to be this movie and not just to set up something up, this could have been a really good movie. It could have been a special movie. And it was just, it just left it uninspired. And so I, I think the, the design of the movie is, is really my, my opinion. So, so Jamie, are, are you saying that Kong is Superman and Godzilla is Batman? Right, <laughs> so just got a Superman movie to set up Batman, then to set up Justice League, right? Well, well maybe, <laughs> maybe got that backwards. I think Godzilla is Superman because he got he got his own Man of Steel movie, and then we just we're just throwing Kong in here at the last second so we can you know compete with the Avengers or whatever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't entirely agree with everything Jamie said some of it maybe but uh, here's my note and I'm just going to read my note because I don't know any other way to say this pen is don't think about it but it seems like they kind of want me to think about it but just don't <laughs> think about it and it'll be okay <laughs> it, this, this is a good movie you know at, at just at just a glaze over you know just just to put it on and watch and and just kind of turn your brain off do something in the background, come back to it, catch all the cool parts, you know, and just just don't think about all the science that just isn't quite explained or. I want to read this Hollow Earth paper. Why are these <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That. And you know, I love. I I I tell you, I I have been in love with John Goodman since I discovered him as an actor. Man is phenomenal. He is a gigantic presence on the screen, literally and figuratively. You know he owns it, and he's so so great. But yeah, he the, he was just kind of cashing that check on this one. He wasn't the only one. <laughs> you know, there actually was a scientific theory once based on Hollow Earth, and I I think they were trying to play off that historically a little bit. I don't know how successful they were, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a thing. Yes, definitely. All right. Um, so for my pan, here's the thing. I really don't like to single out any one actor based on a performance, okay? But, but this is a problem for me. You know, every actor has a bad movie. I know it. I mean, we've all seen it. The best actors have a rough go sometimes. But poor Brie Larson. I mean, no matter what role she plays... I just have a hard time buying her at it. She just tries to play so stoic all the time that it's almost like you don't get any other emotion from her. You know, I love Carol Danvers, but I don't buy Larson as Carol Danvers, even in the MCU. It's the same thing with Mason Weaver. 
we don't really even need her in the movie. She doesn't have a role. The whole anti-war photographer. There's no situation we really need her. She's not even a Faye Ray Jessica Lange type of character for mm-hmm. Kong to fall in love with and want to protect. He just eventually, you know, picks up the, the, the what helicopter to help the bison and then picks her up out of the water. You know, that's about all she serves in the movie. Um, and maybe that's her fault. Maybe it's the, the script's fault. But I just, I didn't know, I don't understand why we needed her, you know, in terms of a character. And the only other female character that I thought was probably, would have been an interesting character, got kind of pushed to the side, I think. Yeah, the female. I, I think there's missing the scenes ge- with her. I liked the geologist. There's got to be. Something, I thought she was yeah. an interesting character. Yeah. So I, I, I think I think her and the uh, the guy that she's like obviously has a crush on her. I think there's a lot of me. I'm guessing there's missing scenes with those two because it feels mm-hmm. like there was more to them and they just it's not in the movie. Yeah, 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 definitely. See, I, see, the thing with Brie Larson is like she she keeps making mainstream movies and it's not what she's good at. I've seen her in like little little quirky indie movies. She's a lot better at that. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> I mean, she's kind of a weirdo, you know. And look, I, I I'm allowed to say that game recognizes game. I know what a weirdo looks like because I own a mirror. <laughs> you know, she's better. She's better at the strange roles. When she when she's allowed to be quirky, she's better at that. She's she's not Carol Danvers. She's not Mason Weaver. It's not what she's suited for. You know, the the only parts of this movie I thought she was even relatable is when she was taking the photos of the the troop and they were smiling and laughing and she was c- cutting up with them. That was the only point that I really felt she was relatable. Yeah, you know. So. Yeah, that point. I kept waiting, uh, just like you probably, for that Fairey just going moment. You know, of of her, you know, being the 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 interest of the ape, uh, mm-hmm. something to bring a little humanity to him uh, and connect. And I thought we were going to get it there for a moment, you know, when, when her and Tom Hiddleston's on the hillside, I thought we were going to get that connection, uh, but it kind of fell a little flat Yeah. Uh, to me. I mean, it was a beautiful scene, but it, it kind of fell a little flat. Well, you know, Kong's still young. Maybe he's not discovered girls yet. <laughs> 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 well, I'll tell you, uh, one thing that we know this movie didn't get was some awards, but I think we can maybe wrangle up a couple for it here, guys. So let's uh, tear into these. So here we go. All right. Well, I get to lead off with best performance. And you guys have already alluded to uh, the character that I'm going to give my best performance to. No, it's not Brie Larson. And no, it's not the female geologist. But it is Corey Hawkins. Uh, Houston Brooks, the uh, the guy who wrote the uh, Hollow Earth paper. Um, I thought he really played an earnest, straightforward role in a really not subtle straightforward movie you know it's kind of over the top here but i think he was a really a real one of the few characters that you could relate to and kind of get and he's just like you know i wrote i come up with this theory i wrote this paper this guy drew me in and what the heck am i doing in the jungle you know <laughs> I, I thought i thought his performance was really um really you know well 
portrayed. He, he wasn't over the top. He wasn't, you know, too underwhelming. I, I think he just hit that really. And I would have liked to have seen more of him. Um, I, I agree with Jamie. I think there was more there that wasn't mm-hmm. uh, that wasn't um, explored. Definitely. And, and he was one of the, only a handful of people that weren't just cashing a check. Yeah. I mean, he, he was present on set. I mean, he was really giving his all. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, I, I liked him, but I'm going to go with um, Samuel L. for my best performance. Going for Lieutenant Colonel Preston Packard. Now, I know what most, at least even my co-hosts are now looking at me thinking, <laughs> what? Why in the world would you give it to Jackson? Think about this. If there is any human being that you could see standing, giving King Kong the stink eye stare, <laughs> it would be Sam Jackson. <laughs> I couldn't buy anybody else doing that performance. I would had, just be like, whatever. He okay? had the stink eye going on. He got movie. it, man. He's got, I, I think Jamie said he, he's got one of the two best squints in Hollywood, right? <laughs> so, but, but it's this idea of, I don't know if I could have bought any other actor in that role in terms of performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like Packard for another reason. He's Captain Ahab. This is, this is like Melville's Moby Dick. This is his white whale. You know, and that singular focus border, bordering on insanity. That's what Packard is. And I thought that was cool. I, I get you. But I feel like, uh, look, I love Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, I love him as much as anybody. But there's the occasional movie. You can tell he's just cashing a check, and he's kind of giving you about 50% of the full Sam Jackson treatment. I feel like we got only, only about 40% of Sam Jackson treatment in this movie. He, just, he looked bored a lot of the time. I mean, he wasn't fully invested in this. Uh, maybe she gave him an eye patch. He'd, he'd shown up more or something. Yeah, I don't there know, you go. But, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with I'm a, I'm gonna go with John C. Riley. Uh, it's it's a it's a weird it's a weird part. He there's scenes that just don't work. He's doing his normal funny John C. Riley stuff, and like Brie Larson or Tom Hiddleston don't look like they know what they're supposed to do in that scene. Um, but you know, there's he's funny. I like John C. Riley. He's a funny guy. I like when he's being funny. Um, but he also has some kind of moments where he's reflecting on on his friend whose name I've forgotten, the Japanese pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that are, are kind of touching. He's showing some real emotion there. Um, and when he talks about his family, I mean, those are some emotional scenes and he does a really good job with that. And also we get the silly John C. Rowley moments and I'm happy those are there. Yeah. Cool. I love, I, I do love me some John C. Rowley. And you know, I know you talk about his uh, comedic stuff. He, he really started out as a character actor. He's a, a good lot actor. Of really, really serious dramas. And I mean, he was Always, everything I see him, he blew me away. And then he but met Will Ferrell. From, from, then he met Will Ferrell, and <laughs> you know, discovered that his his comedic timing was was impeccable, and uh, he just went off the deep end from there. But uh, Sam, there's a lot of beautiful scenes in this thing. What do you got for us? All right, you know, I went back and forth with this because there's another award I almost put this in. But I'm going to leave it as my best scene. I love Kong's calamari lunch. All right. (laughs) (laughs) 
That whole scene. I mean, the way the tentacles look, it's dynamic, it's action-packed. But then you get this little bit of humor when Kong slurps the tentacle <laughs> at the end. And it just drags the carcass along. I mean, it's such a great scene. I crack up every time I watch that one. Kong's takeout. Yep. <laughs> uh Mine has already been referenced, and I'm, I don't, I'm not going to elaborate a lot. It was just cool. From the moment the helicopters take off of the ships, fly through the storm, and then do the whole tour of duty thing as they go in to the island. Until, and, and up until like, they fight Kong there, I'll, everything about that is just cool. I mean, it's bad. It's cool. It's awesome. It's just tough. And it, it sets the tone for who these people are, what those characters are, what they're about. And I, I love that scene. And it's, and it's shot just perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, it totally is. It completely is. Um, I love the uh, the Battle of the Graveyard. I think that's going to be my favorite scene. Um, but yeah, the Battle in the Graveyard where you, you go to where Kong's parents are, you know, that, that the big monster John C. Rowley refers to had taken out Kong's the last one and the you know they're 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 fighting these things and, and they're not even the big ones. He's saying you know they're not even they're not even the big ones, but they're using the the, the methane and the natural gases in this area. You know from the from the decomposition and the bones to hide in and stuff. It's just really cool, really action packed, real fun. Graphically novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not so classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically novel. Three brothers who like each other but love comics. Sam, you look like you have a thought. What are you holding in there? You can let it go. It's all right. Oh no no no! That, it, it is it is a great <laughs> scene. I just that 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 whole section there is really cool. I think. Um, and just the, the just I guess the way it's set up, the way that like you said, they they use the the natural gases and stuff. Uh, as a way to to kind of heighten the, the excitement. I just think it's kind of a neat scene. So, yep. All right, uh, well, the next award is Best Character, and I'm going to go with one of the supporting characters. I'm going to go with Cole. And he's the, he's the older soldier um, who just rolls with everything. And he's just Captain yep. Understated. The most bizarre circumstances are heading all around him, and he's just getting his beans out, you know, like, hey, it's food. It's time to eat. You know, I, I, this is lunchtime. I mean, whatever's happening around me, I'm still eating. Um, and I, you, know, you could also kind of tell that he was kind of a surrogate father for the younger soldiers. And there was that kind of just a, a cool dynamic between him. And, uh, <laughs> and then the scene where he tried to sacrifice himself. Now, it didn't work, <laughs> but it was a good idea. The intention is fabulous. Execution didn't work out, but... Um, but it was it was kind of a moving moment, and the impact he had on the soldiers around him. I just I, 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 Cole, I, I found Cole kind of fascinating. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, he was I, most yeah. definitely cool. And Jamie, you just made me a change my 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 best quote. Um, <laughs> I had uh, don't I steal had, mine. <laughs> I had one. Well, I'll tell you what. Then I'll stick. I'll stick with mine. I'll stick with mine. And if yours. If, if yours isn't what I think it is, please go back and reference it. But the best quote uh, that I'm going to go back to, let's see here. 
Uh, it says reference phone, so I took a screenshot of it. <laughs> <laughs> Hank Marlowe. Kong's God on this island, but the devils live below us. James Conrad. What are they called? Hank Marlowe. I call them skull crawlers. James Conrad. Why? Hank Marlowe. Because it sounds neat. Conrad. Okay. Look, I just made that name up. I'm trying to scare you. I never said it out loud before. It sounds stupid now that I think about it. You just call them whatever you want. <laughs> I love that little interchange. Yeah. You know, and it just it's just John C. Riley being goofy and Tom Hiddleston being cool. And you know, this skull crawlers. Call them skull crawlers. <laughs> we did. Honestly, that's why, you know, as far as even a character, I think Marlo was my favorite character. Um, you know, because, I mean, think about it. He's like the crazy Yoda character. He's been on the island for so long. Mm-hmm. He, he's that, he's that, that little bit of unhinged. There's those shifts between lucidity and delirium. Um, even that one scene where he looks at Victor and goes, I'm going to stab you by the end of the Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's before that, so he's good. like, I, I can't tell if I'm talking out loud anymore. Am I talking out loud? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and honestly, he's the only one we really get an emotional resolution with when we see him get to go home, go home at the you know, so we see the, him at the beginning of the movie as the beginning of the story. And we get that resolution at the end of the movie. So I thought that was cool with that character. All right, Dwayne, did, who was your favorite character or best character? Did I not give best character? I think you skipped a quote early. Oh, I uh, did. I skipped on the quote. I'm sorry. Let me go back to this character. <laughs> you got me excited. You got me excited. Um, he started thinking about quotes. Up <laughs> uh, with James Conrad. Um, Tom Hiddleston. He's just cool. Uh, J- Cohen Luke. Yeah, he's just he's just in control. He's he's always got the solution. He's just a cool guy. All right. Well, you've already given your base quote, so we're going to see if, if if you were going to jump to the one I, I had. Okay. So it, it, it's a cold quote, and it's when he's eating his beans, and his cohort is like freaking out. He's like, "Why are you eating beans? Like, what what are you doing? It's like, we just saw like this gigantic monkey. What are you doing?" And he just kind of very stoically goes, "That was an unconventional encounter." <laughs> <laughs> and then goes back to his beans. It's great, Jamie. I'm glad you chose that one because I had two quotes. <laughs> And that was one of the exchanges I had. And it's just because he's so deadpan. He's like, yeah, that was an unconventional encounter. (laughs) And it was that, right? Um, My quote, I had to go with with one from Marlo. Because, you know, Marlo goes back and forth. You know, sometimes, like I said, he's completely out there. Other times, he has these moments. And when he, he looks and says... Sometimes there's no enemy until you look for one. And I was like, that, that's a good quote. Mm-hmm. I liked that. Yeah. Well, Jamie, you didn't go to the one I thought you were going to. Okay, it, was a cold, well, it, was, it was a cold quote. I'm going to cheat here and go ahead and give, and give it. But uh, it's when he's talking about his gun. He shows the guy the gun. And he's got uh, an AK-47. <laughs> and everybody else got these M16s. And he says, he says, you see this gun? 
He says, you know where I got this gun? He says, where? He says, I killed a Vietnamese farmer. Or he says, I got it from a Vietnamese farmer. He said, he'd never seen a gun until he got there. We brought the enemy. You know, we brought the violence to them. Yeah. Just that whole nature of war. You know, these people were living in peace. And, you know, we brought that. And, and that was how it ended. I was going to say, how did yeah. it end? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah go ahead, they, how it ended. Well, so, like, they, they go back and forth about, like, about war and nature of war. Like, as if he goes, so, so what happens at the end of the story? Well, you know, he goes, like, I, st- I still I have his gun. Yeah, I still have his gun. Yeah. Still have his, yeah, that whole that whole exchange there was, was wonderful. But I love that nature of war. You know, where yeah. he's like, you know, he never seen a gun. You know, this stuff. Yeah, we get all that deep stuff, and then it ends with, I still got his gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, this is the first episode-specific award of this episode. And so, Sam, why don't you lead us off on best monkey business? All right. So when I think of monkey business, I think of things that are that little nod and wink, maybe a little mischievous, right? So I've got to go with the end credit scene because, face it, that's the little nod and wink that leads us into King of the Monsters, right? We see Godzilla, King Ghidorah, we see Mothra, we see all of those on the walls as they're sharing, as Monarch is sharing that. So it's that little mischievous nod and wink to say, hey, hey, hey look what's coming next. So uh, that's what I went with. Well, I totally wasn't thinking that deeply about it. I was thinking quite shallowly, actually. There's a <laughs> monkey in this movie. So I was just thinking, what's my favorite thing that monkey did in this movie? <laughs> and my favorite was your best scene, Kong Squid Lunch. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I love the way he kind of stares at the camera and like, like tries to gross us out, like the way he slowly slurps the, the tentacles. It's just... <laughs> And it's wrapped around his yeah. nose. Yeah, flipped over his nose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what I have. Kong <laughs> likes calamari. <laughs> you know, yep. Kong, Kong uh, could, is down for some takeouts. So. <laughs> uh, well, the last one is uh, easy to pick because it's about 50% of this movie is battles. So, best battle. Um, I love Kong versus the helicopters because it's a callback. It absolutely is. And it felt felt like it had to be there, but it's interesting the way it goes down. Um, And I love the way he like, the way he were like when he, when he smacks at the helicopter and the, the the rotary blade things cut his, I don't know the technical term, cut his hand up and he like freaks it because he's an animal. You know, he freaks out like he's an intelligent, but he's still an animal. He's never been cut by helicopter blades before. And the way he freaks out about it and the way he reacts and just, I, I love the way that scene is staged and the way, um, the way Kong, you know, carries off his end of the battle. I just, I thought it was really interesting and, and, and fun to watch. Like it was fun to look at. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, the battle I had, you know, you, you referred to, you know, about 50% of this movie is battles, but you know, it made it really difficult to pick which battle was the best. I mean, the one at the end with the giant thing was pretty cool. The one in the graveyard was really awesome, but I loved, you know, and I, and I wrote it down here, Kong versus the choppers. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, I love how he, yeah, like you said, you know, he's he's interacting with these flying almost insects to him, and he's swatting them down, and he's beating on them, and you know, he, when he gets cut by the uh, by that uh, blade in the back, it's almost like he's gotten stung. You know, he he brings him like, oh, like it stung me, you know, and and he gets angry like we would a bee, you mm-hmm. know, and just it just goes to ripping them apart. 
but uh, it just really shows his dominance on the island. And, you know, from the moment you, we as the viewers see from the, the front of the, the windshield and then you, of that, that chopper, and then you just see that tree coming, you know, it just, it just, it, it's a perfect setup. All right. So you guys went with the big Kong battle at the beginning. I went with the end. Okay. And it's part of the reason that Jamie mentioned, you know, the throwback part, right? The choppers were a throwback to the planes. Well, during the battle with the big one, all right, or Muto, if you want to use that, that terminology, whichever, to keep with the universe, you know, Kong is, you know, gets knocked back and he's got all these chains on him, right? And that's that callback to that scene in the original where Kong breaks the chains and gets loose. But this adds an interesting, another element. Kong gets a weapon. And... I love, it's almost in his body language when he's like, oh, this will work. When he notices that, how the, the propeller on that chain will work. And I just thought that was really cool. So that was probably my best battle. That was gnarly. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was, it was a ton of fun. I mean, it's almost like he was wanting to smile when he swung it the first time. He's like, yeah. <laughs> Monkey likes. <laughs> yeah. Monkey likey. <laughs> well, you know, there's a thing that we definitely like here on uh, Nerds of the Round Table. Uh, a character that has proved true and true to us throughout the years. Uh, you know, he's even went into autobiographical storytelling as we discovered at the beginning of this episode or Keanu Reeves. Um, hopefully he never has to go up against Kong and, and I feel sorry for Kong whenever he does, but you know, where does Skull Island connect to our Keanu Jamie? Okay. You're going to have to bear with me. I'm going into some sports ball. Uh Oh, so I, I have a decades long addiction to NBA 2k. Um, and on NBA 2K20, they came out with a new feature called My Player. You create yourself, and you become a player. You go through the whole draft process. You finish like your your the last you know games of your college career. Uh, Idris Elba is your coach in college, um, except he's a jerk and he like make, tries to make you play injured. It's just terrible. Uh, you can't make Idris Elba be a bad guy. Um, and then you get an agent, and so you, you like there's all these options of agents. And so I choose an agent. I go through the whole draft process. This agent's helping me get, you know, sponsorships, all that kind of stuff. So my agent is a f- semi-famous actor who actually appears in, <laughs> strangely, uh, Kong and the Godzilla movies as different characters. <laughs> okay. Uh, so my agent appeared in this movie. Uh, <laughs> I love that my agent is in King Kong. Um, Thomas Middleditch was my agent in NBA 2K20. He was also Jerry in Kong, King of the Monsters. I forget his name, his character's name in Godzilla. He was also a character named Ed Whittle in Replicas, starring our beloved Keanu. So my agent, Thomas Middleditch, is this week's Keanu connection. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Just had to get the sports ball in there, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Notice everybody on it. It's okay. 
goodness. Well, it has been a week. It has been a week. And uh, with this week, you know, we've wrapped up our review of Kong Skull Island. You guys are going to listen to it at the beginning of your week. So we hope this sets you off on a great journey of some fabulous pop culture. Um, ready to preview what we're going to get into next week, gentlemen? Let's do it. Absolutely. All right. Well, this is my pick, and we're going to go into some new territory here in the Nerds of the Roundtableverse. We're going to go into a concert movie. Um, We're going to look at the Talking Heads' Stop Making Sense, the concert film. Uh, It is free on Prime Video. Uh, I am a huge fan of any type of music, especially 80s, especially this Talking Heads' uh, as they're getting into their, you know, art house phase here, going really uh, off the deep end with some stuff. But it is free on Prime Video, so check that out before uh, our next episode. And Jamie, what are we going to do? We're going to keep it the same as it ever was, as we keep it nerdy. Mm-hmm.